talking and it don't make sense Tell me what it's all about The truth is stranger the closer you get To the who, what, where, when, how Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Guess what I heard Guess what I heard Hey, this is Know What I Heard. I'm Jamie, and this episode is about alcoholism. I was joined by my friend Erin Allman, who shares her story about being a mom and a wife and an alcoholic. Erin and I met years ago when we were a couple of knuckleheads in our 20s who were bartending in Nashville. She shared the events that led to her alcoholism and the effects that the alcohol had on her health and her relationship with her family and the events that led to her sobriety. Here's Erin's story. My story starts um, with a Tuesday morning. I woke up and for some reason, I was just sick and tired of waking up being hungover and miserable. And I picked up my phone and I looked up an AA meeting. I called and they were like, there's a meeting in 30 minutes if you want to come up here. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I get in my car. I drive to the AA meeting. First of all, I don't tell my husband where I'm going. I don't tell anybody in my family. Everybody's home. I leave. I text message my husband and say, I'm going to an AA meeting. I didn't say a word to anybody. And as I'm driving there, I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck are you doing? You don't want to stop drinking. Like, this is so stupid. And yet I still was like making the turn and still going there. I will say that it was the first time in my life where I felt like I did not have control and it was more of like a divine intervention. And I'm not like this huge religious person, but I definitely am a spiritual person. And I definitely felt like I did not have control over that moment in my life. And I went to that meeting and everybody was really nice and they're talking and they're telling their stories. And as I'm listening, all I hear are like crazy things. We've got somebody who drinks mouthwash because they are addicted to alcohol, but have been sober for a long time and don't want to bring themselves to drink alcohol. So now they're drinking mouthwash or another person who's telling the story about how you know, they got so sick and they went through the DTs, which are where they shake really, really bad. And so I went into this first meeting and thought, they're alcoholics. I'm not. This is silly. But what I will tell you is that I went in there and I couldn't talk because if I had said one word, I would have broken down in tears. Now, why is that? What is the correlation here? So I left and I just thought, I'm not like these people. I'm clear I don't have a problem, right? So I went back for a couple more meetings, kind of, you know, just to verify to myself that I'm really not an alcoholic and I'm not really like these people. And I stayed sober for 18 days, uh, 17 days. On my 18th day, I said to my husband, I'm, I'm good. Look, I just went 17 days without drinking. I clearly can control this. I don't have a failed marriage. I'm not losing my kids. My kids go to school. They get good grades. They are fed. They are, you know, do after school activities. I'm clearly fine. So on my 18th day, I drank. 
at that point I was like, it's fine. I can, I'll just control it. My tool for survival in just every day, being a mom, being a wife, um, husband, you know, deploying or husband working out of the state or the country a lot. I convinced myself, I think like a lot of people do, that you deserve a break at the end of the day. I was a very high-functioning, high-bottom alcoholic. Everything looked great. I was a miserable mess inside because I knew that I was at a point where I had to have that alcohol. And it wasn't because I would start to shake or, you know, I would have these terrible withdrawal symptoms. It was because I would get really angry if I didn't have it. I deserved it. And then not only did I deserve it, as a stay-at-home mom who homeschooled, who, you know, kept everything together in my mind so perfectly that after dinner, I did not want anybody to bother me. So as much as I could say that I had everything together, unfortunately, you know, it would be like eight o'clock and and it's time for the kids to like brush their teeth and get ready for bed. And I did not want to do it. I mean, I just wanted to check out. I did it, but I was not happy about it. I stopped going to AA because I figured I had it under control. So I started drinking on the 18th day and then I waited three days. That seemed reasonable in my head. I'll wait three days and then I'll drink again. This way I'm proving to everyone and to myself that I have control over this. Okay, so then three days came, then I would drink. And you have to understand, I didn't drink one or two drinks. I might only drink three or four drinks, but those drinks were full of rum with a splash of Coke. I would consume close to a fifth every night. There'd probably be about maybe a quarter of the bottle left at the end of the night. So I set myself up when I drank that I had to start with a full bottle the next day, I would have to go buy another bottle because that little bit of alcohol would just kind of give me anxiety. What was happening to me was my self-esteem was worth zero. I was miserable. The negative self-talk I had was just unbelievable. So mean, so terrible, the things that you say to yourself. And I think anybody does that when they're like depressed or sad or whatever. But the problem was, is that the only thing that made me stop having those thoughts was drinking. And yet it was drinking that was making me have those thoughts because what a loser I was. I couldn't, I couldn't not drink Every day I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh my God, why did I drink? I'm not going to drink tonight. I'm not going to do it. Just don't go to the store. Just don't buy it. And it didn't matter if I wanted it or not, I would still drink. So put that in perspective for a second. I actually don't want to drink. My body's not asking for it. My brain is not asking for it. And yet I am incapable of not pouring that drink and drinking it. That is really powerful. Those were the moments where I was so defeated because I didn't even want to drink and I was still drinking. Why? What was that about? I think a lot of people go into recovery or are in the throes of addiction and the question that they have and everybody has is why? Why are you doing this? 
you are, you know, ruining your life or you're, you know, all the different consequences. Why are you doing it? Well, as an alcoholic for myself, I, I wanted to know why too, because if I knew why, then I could stop. Unfortunately, the why was so big that it was a life lesson in self-discovery. So now kind of prepping all of that, I'll go back and tell my story as where I think I kind of was led down this road to addiction. I also want to preface this by saying that I think a lot of people think that addiction is a choice. And then it's, you know, after that, you don't have a choice because then you just have to get sober or you have to stop doing whatever you're doing or you're going to die, right? I kind of feel like it's the other way around. I kind of feel like I didn't have a whole lot of choice in my addiction and becoming an alcoholic. I had kind of like a perfect storm of events that happened. And my reasoning is this. One, I have a genetic predisposition to alcoholism. Many people on both sides of my family are alcoholics. I was always told growing up, my mom always used to warn us, don't drink. You're going to become an alcoholic. You know, we've got, you've got to be so careful. The type of person I was, was like, "Uh, whatever, it's not going to happen to me. I got this. I did have it for a really long time. I was a really good, fun drunk, which made it hard to um, have anybody intervene because like I said before, I had no problems that somebody could say, you know, hey, maybe you drink too much. Nobody had any idea how much I drank other than probably my husband. And that was only because he was in the same household as I was, but he certainly wasn't pouring my drinks. But nobody really knew how much I was drinking. Um, So when I did decide to get help, a lot of people were like, really? You're an alcoholic? Or are you sure? And that makes you question too. Maybe I'm wrong. Ooh, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. Because nobody wants to be an alcoholic because (laughs) all of a sudden you don't have choices, right? I don't get to go hang out with people and have a cocktail and just have one or two or whatever. I don't get those choices anymore. I don't want to be an alcoholic. So anyway, my perfect storm started when I was little. I was sexually abused by a neighbor down the street who was a child herself. I think she was in seventh grade and I was seven. I don't know why we were friends other than we lived in a really small town and all the kids kind of hung out together. And for whatever reason, this girl spent the night at my house one night for a slumber party. And it was at this time that she sexually abused me. And I vividly remember it. And I vividly remember thinking that it wasn't right, but that I really wanted to be friends with her because I was seven. She hung out with the older kids and she was hanging out with me. So whatever she wanted to do, I was kind of like, okay. I remember her telling me, don't tell anybody Now as an adult, I realized this is the moment that I decided that I was really good at keeping secrets. I feel like it's the foundation for just trouble, (laughs) just trouble in the future. I have to say 80% of people who are sexually molested 
as children go on to have addiction problems. That is astounding to me. But then on the other side of it, I totally get it. It's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to have problems, right? So I had this event happen to me and we moved shortly after that. So I didn't have any more experience. I had this, the one time is the one time that I can remember. I do not know if it happened other times. I thought I was fine. Like, who cares, right? Like I put it behind me, never really thought about it. I wasn't aware that it was still in my brain, that it still sat there. Here I am. Now I've got two things, right? I've got a genetic predisposition to alcoholism on both sides of my family. And now I've been sexually molested. I grew up very in control. I wanted to be in control of everything. And I wanted to be the boss of everything. And as far as I thought, that was just my personality. And I'm sure that it was, but I think that it was also fueled by the things that had happened. I have this event. Then we move a lot. And moving a lot means, as a young kid, means you don't really fit in, right? So that happened a few times and that kind of sucked. And what happened was I started to feel like I never belonged anywhere. And it didn't matter. I could have the best friends in the world or not a friend in sight. To me, the feeling was the same. I just never felt like I belonged. That's also a kind of a common theme I think you'll hear when people talk about addiction is just feeling like they're out of place. And I think that that stems from our experiences, right? Being sexually molested or whatever event happens that makes you know that you are different from other people. So then you carry that with you. And then as I got older, more things started to happen that made me different. My mom died when I was a teenager. Nobody else's moms were dying. So that made me different. Then my family fell apart. I got into an abusive relationship. Like we can just go down the checklist of all the things that were kind of setting me up for self-destruction and self-sabotage. I was trying to be in control of situations that I had no control over, uh, like my mom dying. Um, I had no control over the sexual molestation. I had no control over us moving. I got myself into an abusive relationship, which I did not have control over. So I am at every corner that I turn, I feel like I'm being defeated, but I'm refusing to be defeated. So what do I do? I go to college, I graduate from college, I get a job, and then I decide I'm freewheeling and crazy and nobody's going to tell me what to do. So I'm going to move to Nashville. So I moved to Nashville for no good reason, just for fun. And moved to Nashville, have this great time, right? Like um, meet wonderful people, become best friends with these amazing people and embrace this really cool lifestyle that we had in our 20s that was like, go out, bartend, make good money, have a lot of friends, drink, hang out. And that didn't trigger my alcoholism. So in my head, I just want to kind of separate and say, <laughs> if I didn't trigger my alcoholism, then I was solid. Like, I clearly did not have the problem that everybody was concerned that I might inherit. 
skip ahead, you know, and get to the point in my life where now I am a married woman to a husband who is military, who travels a lot for work, who is on deployments a lot. Um, I have three children. One is homeschooled. I watch my nephew. I am one of those people that I have to have something on my plate all the time, or I like, I just don't know how to function without the chaos in my life, apparently. So I got to the point where my self-worth was so ugly. I didn't care about anything else other than drinking. I didn't want to go out. I don't want to go out to a bar to drink or to have drinks because I don't want to spend money and I'm not safe. That was a big thing for me. I wanted to drink at home because I didn't have to rely on anybody or anything to go out of plan so that I was stuck somewhere or drunk somewhere. Or I had heard enough stories about people with their DWIs and that wasn't going to be me. I had control. So I would drink at home. I would go out to dinner with you, but I would really want to hurry it up. I got to the point where I couldn't enjoy just being around people or just doing anything without thinking, can I drink yet? I had kind of laid this groundwork for a past that was very bumpy. And then moving to Nashville and having that lifestyle encouraged my drinking. And I think that I got away from becoming an addict at that time, only because I got pregnant. It, it changed the trajectory of everything in my life. And so I was in a position where my drinking abruptly stopped because I got pregnant and then I moved home and I, and I went on a different path. I wasn't in the bartending world anymore. I wasn't part of all of that. Now I'm pregnant. Now I'm going to you know be a mom. And I didn't have any problems stopping drinking I will say with any of my children, that was like just a no-brainer. I was able to completely um, stop drinking. But as soon as I had the babies, I would, I would slowly kind of go back into drinking. But what was amazing to me was that my tolerance never went down. I didn't drink for like over 10 months, but I could go back to drinking the same amount and it did not affect me any greater. The reason why is alcoholism is a deteriorating disease and it will pick up right where it left off if you are an alcoholic and it will only get worse. There's no more starting over. <laughs> like I don't get to take a break for a year and then go back to being like, I've never drank, so I get to build up my tolerance. That's not how this works in my body. One of the ways that I like to explain alcoholism to people who don't understand it is for me, the best way I can keep myself kind of sober and centered is saying, okay, I was born with like this little teeny tiny drop of gasoline on my body. It doesn't affect me. I didn't even know it was there. But every time I took a drink of alcohol, that little spot of gasoline grew a little bit. The more I drank, the more it grew. In my mind, I envision me feeding this gasoline, essentially. The gasoline did not know that it wanted to be fed. It was completely fine just being a little speck on my body, not doing a darn thing. 
But as soon as it realized that it could be fed with alcohol and grow, it started to crave that, right? Now it wants to grow and now it wants more of it to consume you. And so that time in Nashville, um, though I was not consumed with it, I was prepping my body for full-on alcoholism. I was creating little by little bigger and bigger gasoline spot on my body to the point where you either get completely consumed by it and you are an alcoholic and you go and get help or you're completely consumed by it and you just catch on fire and it's to your demise. I also feel like once you are covered in gasoline, you don't like it never goes away. I currently visualize myself as like a soaking wet and flammable at all times. And by that, I just mean like one sip of alcohol could either be fine for me or it could literally set me on fire and that would be the end of it. That's how dangerous alcohol is for this person, for me. I do not honestly know what would happen. It could be the end of me or it might not do anything. That's really scary to try to differentiate so so I don't cross that line. I think right now, if I had not stopped drinking when I did, and I am just a little bit over, uh, March 3rd was 18 months for me, sober. When I think about that, it is still one of those things that is terrifying to me to think about what could happen if I picked up. I'm not going to lie. I still have it in my head that I was a good drunk. I got all my shit done. I was so high functioning. I didn't lose my license. I didn't go to jail. I didn't have all this terrible stuff happen. I could tell you now, if I went back to drinking, I think the bottom would fall out faster than ever before. My personal relationships with my family depend on my sobriety. Um, I had a terrible relationship with my daughter because she got to the point in her age where she was 13 and she saw it. She saw the shutdown that I would do every day at like five o'clock. I wasn't driving her anywhere. I wasn't doing anything. If she wanted to go with her friends or do something, she needed to get rides because me drinking was way more important. I mean, I didn't want to go on field trips with my kids because I didn't want to be hungover, you know, and you got to go ride on a bus and that's awful. Nobody wants to ride on a school bus anyway, because you're going to get car sick. But I was hungover riding on school buses, <laughs> right? Look at me, applaud myself because I can be hungover and go on a field trip and be super mom. That's the crazy thinking that you do. And then guess what? I went on a field trip and I was so hungover and I had to be on a yellow school bus with like feeling every single bump. I definitely deserve to drink tonight. It's just a sick, it's a sick, unfortunately, way of thinking, but that's exactly what I mean. I am sick when it comes to alcohol. And I also want to say this about addiction. I want to make very clear that my addiction is alcohol And all addiction is not the same. Just because I'm an alcoholic does not mean that then I would also be a drug addict. 
and vice versa. Just because somebody is a drug addict doesn't necessarily mean that they're an alcoholic. For whatever reason, I could take or leave Coke. I don't think about doing drugs. I don't think I'll wait three days and then I can do a line of Coke. And I think that that's something that's important because I think a lot of people think if you're addicted to one thing, then you would automatically be addicted to another thing. And that's not true. Alcohol is something that will consume me to my death if I allowed it. This is a kind of stupid analogy, but I think we've all had those moments where we've had too much at like a bar or restaurant and you get up to go to the bathroom and you're kind of like, woo, you feel it, but you're like, I'm going to nail this walk to the bathroom and nobody's going to suspect a thing. That's right. Do you find now in your sobriety, you weren't maybe nailing the walk of life as much as you (laughs) thought you were? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Does that make sense? It totally does. And, and it's so funny because I wasn't, oh my gosh. Jamie, not only was I not doing it and I had no idea that I was not nailing it, I would have sworn in front of the Lord himself that I was handling it. But here's a good sign. Walking home from school one day, I'm sober because it was 345 and I did not start drinking till five o'clock. Okay. I go and pick up the kids from school. We were walkers. So we're walking home and I start being really silly to my son who was in first or second grade. And there are a ton of other family walkers around us. I start singing and being silly, totally sober. And my son yells out, oh my God, mom, are you drunk again? Oh shit. If you're one of those parents around me, you're probably doing what you just did. Oh shit. Did you hear what that kid just said to his mom? (laughs) Right? But I'm like, oh, that's so funny. You're hilarious. But I'm also embarrassed. And then there's also that part of me that's like, wait, why would he say that? I think I'm nailing the walk to the bathroom, you know, like, (laughs) and I'm clearly not because here's my seven-year-old making a comment like that jokingly, but clearly it's coming from somewhere. So I'm not hiding things as well as I think I am. So yeah, for sure. For sure. That was one of those moments. Did I stop drinking after that? No, no, that wasn't going to be a catalyst for me to stop drinking. That would just be something I'd put in my back pocket and laugh off. So I really like blew it off, but you, I can look back at moments like that where I'm like, man, I sure I couldn't have been nailing it. Because my seven-year-old called me out. My sobriety date is September 3rd, 2019. And I will say that I went into 12-step program on my own to just go to meetings and see what, what it was like. So I went in and out of the program a couple times going in to prove that I was not as sick as they were. That was the first time I went in. My second time I went in, I thought I'm going to just go so I can keep in mind all these principles and things that I've learned and goals. But I still left every day and drank after that meeting. The meeting ended at four. So I could get home at 4.30 and that's prime time to start making drinks. So I could go to a meeting and be like, okay, I went to a meeting. I'm good. I'm definitely better than these people. I can drink, right? Like how warped is that? But I did it. And then I stopped going and just continued drinking for a while. And then 
in March of 2019, I started having terrible stomach pain for days and days, like couldn't move pain, go to the ER, find out something's wrong with my small intestine, do some tests. And they're like, oh, this is what's wrong. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Somewhere along the line, somebody reads it and goes, are you an alcoholic? And I'm like, oh, does, is that caused by alcohol? Like what's happening to my intestines? And they're like, oh yeah, hundred percent. So my small intestine started to atrophy. What the fuck? And that's extremely painful. It's extremely painful. What had happened was I had just been drinking for so long, even though I didn't drink till five, even though I was like this controlled drinker in my head. I was clearly not, but I didn't wake up in the morning and drink all day. I had a schedule that I stuck to. And I thought, how in the world did I do so much damage to my body? So now I know I have to either stop drinking or just be one of those assholes that has like, yeah, my small intestines atrophied and I'm just going to keep drinking because I'm an asshole. Guess which one I chose? Not get sober. I kept saying, I know I got to stop drinking. I'm going to have to stop drinking because I'm really, you know, clearly I'm messing up the inside of my body. I'm going to have to stop drinking. But every night I'd be like, well, tonight's not the night because I just bought a bottle or today's not the day because I still have a quarter of a bottle left and that's not enough for one night and I got to go buy a bottle and then I'll have half a bottle left tomorrow. I mean, this is very methodical, very well thought out on my, my part because I cannot not have alcohol. I've got to make sure that I've got a plan. So then I went on from then until September 3rd. So months and months later, before I actually went into a meeting and finally looked around at the people and saw myself instead of purposefully trying to not see myself in these people, I had the same stories that they did. They were just different. If you went in and you heard me tell my story and I was like, well, I drank so much and my small intestine was atrophied and blah, blah, blah. And you're a person who's just come in. You're going to be like, oh my God, that's not me. I haven't got it that bad. And, and really, I think that the trick to success when you are an alcoholic is seeing that you are not different than all these other addicts. Because the, the attachment that people put on what you're, you're an alcoholic or you're a drug addict, the attachment to that is not good. So you want to go into a meeting for myself and I wanted to prove I was not like these people. And unfortunately, I am exactly like these people. And you know what? All these people that I talk about, they're, they're anybody. They're your neighbor. They're your friend. They're your mom. They're your uncle. You know, they're your grandparents. It really is amazing. And, and what brought people into getting help a lot of times, I think, is not their own choice, but those that do go into it and can see themselves in other people's stories are the ones that turn out to be a little bit more successful. But I didn't want to see myself in anybody else because I had this under control until I didn't. Your story is super important because there's kind of that misconception with addiction and alcoholism that 
people who are addicts, their lives are just like spiraling out of control and they're stealing from family and they're Mm -hmm. in and out of jail and they're homeless. You know, there's just like all these huge things that that's not a reality for a lot of people. And I think that like the other misconception that goes along with that is that if you are drinking at home and you're not driving and you're being safe and you're still functioning, that it isn't a problem. And Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Would you have any advice or like red flags that you could point out for people that maybe are listening to this and going, oh, shit, that's yeah. me? Alcoholism is really tricky because most times it's self-diagnosable. What that means is only you truly know, unless you have made it into the system, right? Like unless you've got a DWI, unless you've been court ordered to do certain things. If you're like me, who's a stay-at-home mom, high bottom, doesn't have any issues getting everything done, what does that mean? Because I want to self-diagnose myself and be like, I'm a damn good drinker. I keep all my (laughs) shit together, you know? Um, So I'm like a professional. I got this. But it's self-diagnosable. And what I mean is like, do you think about alcohol more than you want to. I was always excited to get to that evening so I could drink. This was like a source of excitement for me to know that I was going to be able to drink later. So that's kind of one thing that you can think about. And then do you have things that happen while you're drinking or because of your drinking that have negative consequences and you still chose to drink or you still continue to drink. Here's a good story about that one. My daughter was doing a show. I'm getting ready to leave. Somebody comes to pick me up. And the very first thing I say is, can you drive me by the liquor store real quick? I want to get a little bottle of rum and I'm going to get a bottle of Coke and I'm going to dump out half the Coke and I'm going to pour the rum in the Coke and then I'm going to bring it with me to the show. Now, here I am, a mother, a full grown ass adult, and I truly 100% do not see an issue with what I'm doing. I don't. I do not see that this is whack job actions. I don't. And my brother gets mad at me and my brother's like, what the fuck are you thinking? Why would you do this? And I'm like, why would I not do this? I have a babysitter at home. I'm, I have a chance to go out. I'm going to be around other adults. This was my moment. I didn't have an outlet to go out. I didn't go out with friends. I didn't go out for dinner. Like I didn't have those opportunities. That In my mind, I really did not think I was doing anything wrong. I thought I was doing what I deserved. I deserve to be able to stop at the liquor store and sneak a bottle into the show so I could drink during my 13-year-old's show. There's a clue. I mean, my brother was saying to me, I don't understand why. Like, why didn't you just wait till you got home? I didn't wait till I got home because I knew it would cause an argument. I knew that my daughter would not be happy if she saw me drink because she knew that I had been trying to stop. So I had to do it secretively. So then what happened is I really turned the page into hiding, being more secretive so that I didn't ruffle anybody's feather. I didn't want to make anybody upset because I had this under control, even though you guys didn't think I did, but like really thought that it was okay for me to bring a bottle of rum and Coke and to a 
middle school show and drink. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? Alcohol is my master. That's fucked up. But that's the truth. (laughs) I remember driving in a snowstorm trying to find alcohol. The liquor stores by my house were closed because of the snowstorm. And I was like, what am I going to do? Pure panic. Then I was like, oh my gosh, I know this one liquor store, they never, ever close. And I'll be damned, they were open and I drove all the way out there and I was so thankful and I wanted to buy like 20 bottles because that's how much it consumes you and controls you is that I was scared that I'm not like, what happens if I don't have it and they're, and they do shut down the fear of not having alcohol was so consuming to me. And then by the other side of that, you know, like I said, the idea of four or five o'clock at night coming around, I would be so, I would be like giddy. I would be so excited. But I would also, if I was not at home, I would be very fidgety, very anxious. Like I had to get somewhere where I could feel comfortable and drink. And if I was at a friend's house and it was like five o'clock I could be like, okay, people are drinking. Okay, who's going to drive me home so I can start drinking now? And then I'll finish when I get home. It was a a well-planned thing in my head, even though it really wasn't. It was really like, how could I get alcohol and have it at a reasonable time every day and prove to everybody that I was fine? The biggest problem for alcoholics and addicts is... We are so hard on ourselves. For me, drinking took all of those terrible thoughts I had about myself and it stopped them. I didn't really think I had anything that I was stopping thinking about. I really thought that I was just like deserved to just chill. What I realized in hindsight was I never told anybody about the molestation in my life until last year. So I was about nine months sober, probably when I finally told anybody in my life for the first time, did the words ever come out of my mouth that this event happened to me. Once I got those words out and I like told my story, it was like, if the weight was like a million pounds, it was like 900,000 pounds, right? The first time I said it. And then the second time I said it, it like got a little better. And, and to the point where now I'm like, I'm going to own this thing that happened to me so that it doesn't own me. All these things that I kept secret in my life, the first molestation that happened when I was younger. And then when I was a teenager, there was a couple of things that happened with full grown men, adults who were trying to take advantage of situations that were completely inappropriate that I never told anybody. So I started to randomly think about these things and then I would just shut it off. And for me, the easiest way to shut off anything was to drink. It was the only time that I could get my brain to stop and like literally just be numb. And that was the point in my drinking. You get to a point and they call it like a jumping off point basically where you either are going to continue to drink until it kills you and ruins all your relationships or whatever it does to dismantle your life, or you're going to ask for help and get better. 
because it like you literally can't go another day without alcohol. You know, it's like you don't want it, but you don't know how to not have it. And like I said before, like I didn't even want to drink it. You know, there would be times where I didn't feel well. I'd be sick and I would still get up and make myself that drink. And do you know how mad you are at yourself when you're like, I don't even want this. Why am I doing this? You know, you do it again and then it just compounds and just keeps going more and more and more. The last time I went in and and I've been sober since then, September 3rd, on September 2nd, I got a text message from somebody who put me on a text thread from when I was um, going to meetings previously. This person just included me on this text thread and was looking for somebody to help out. It was like 1130 at night and I am shit canned. And I'm in bed feeling like, because as, as excited as I would get to drink every night at five, you got to understand by like nine or 10, I was pissed off and mad at myself and disgusted with myself and sad. So I get this text message and I'm like, um, maybe this is my sign. Maybe this is my chance. Maybe. I don't know. So I just text message this person back and I'm like, hey, are you sponsoring people right now? She said, I have not, but I need to. And I was like, this is my situation. I'm drunk right now. I have a bottle, blah, blah, blah. And this person said to me, I'm not going to tell you to go dump out your bottle. Do what you're going to do tonight. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Which was great advice because the last thing you want is somebody to go, "Um, right now, go dump out the rest of your alcohol. That's (laughs) terrifying. You want me to dump out my alcohol at 1130 at night and then I'm not going to be able to get any more? What if I change my mind at midnight and I do want to drink? You know, it's just so crazy. But I did. The next day I I woke up, I dumped alcohol. I went in, I sat down among many of the people who have stories just like mine and finally felt like, okay, I get it. I get it. I am one of those people that just can't drink alcohol normally. I just can't. My body is consumed with gasoline. I am a wet rag walking around. I am highly combustible. And it's just what I'm born with. And at first, I have to tell you that acknowledgement is very sad and can make you very angry because that's not fair. Not fair that I can't drink and you can, and that you can have a night out and get shit canned and then not think about it. That makes me mad. Doesn't anymore, but it did, you know? And I really had to step back and put this in perspective and be like, okay, there are literally people who are born who can't walk. That's not fair. That's legitimately not fair. My alcoholism, I don't think is legitimately not fair. Like it's just what it is, right? There is a lot of self-pity involved in addiction. I think that's why it makes it really hard to kind of come out of the hole once you're in it because you are so consumed with your own downward spiral and just what a loser fuck up you are because you can't stop. You can't stop and you don't know why. And if you could just figure out why, you could stop. Unfortunately, the why I would say for, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say pretty much everybody who's an addict is fear, fear of something, fear of failure, fear of what's going to happen if I don't drink. 
what's going to happen if I do drink, what's going to happen if, I mean, it's just all, it's all based in fear and, and sadness and all those negative feelings. Congratulations. 18 months is incredible. Thank so you. I think that's I really it. amazing. Mm-hmm. But I also, <laughs> I guess like in those 18 months, like what have you noticed like changes in you and your family dynamic anything like what are the biggest changes that you've noticed in those Mm. sober months yeah you know I often think about that so my daughter and I are super super close we were super close when I was drinking and then when she really started to kind of become aware of how much I was drinking and really my self-centeredness in the drinking And, you know, at 13, where you want to start hanging out with your friends and she had a parent who wasn't going to drive anywhere because, and and only she knew, she knew the reason why I wouldn't tell her because I'm planning on being drunk, but she knew. And so we had terrible, terrible fights about my drinking. And it was really hard because, you know, Jamie, I, in my mind, kept everything perfect. My kids were well taken care of. Everybody was fine. And so I did not understand why people were getting mad at me. I really didn't in the lead up of me getting sober because my daughter and I had such a contentious relationship around it. My boy started getting in on that too. So then my middle child really started to kind of jump on the bandwagon with that. Like, mom, please don't drink. Please don't drink. Mom, please don't drink. Because he knew it would upset my daughter. But I was really defiant. I'd be like, I can drink if I want to drink. You guys are my kids. You're not going to tell me what I can do and what I can't do. So things were getting really bad, even though I'm still going to tell you the story. And it's true. I was a really high bottom drunk and I wasn't losing my family and my marriage, but things were not going well in my house because I was defiantly positive that my drinking did not have to affect anybody. And if it affected you, it was your problem because look at all the stuff that I was successful at. They didn't necessarily see me go through terrible withdrawal or anything like that, but my withdrawal symptoms were not shaking and what you would you would normally think of with somebody who is coming off of alcohol or something. I did have withdrawal symptoms. I just didn't know that they were alcoholism related. Even if I had stopped drinking like in the morning and started drinking at five, I would sweat profusely. Like the slightest bit of activity, I would start sweating and I could not stop. So alcohol makes it really difficult for your body to temp- to regulate your temperature. So what I realized later was that after I would have a night of drinking, I would wake up and my body would be so out of whack because it still had all this alcohol in it. Lots of people who are going through withdrawal sweat just, and I could be sitting there and it wouldn't matter. I like dripping for no reason other than the fact that I just got up and like went to my car and came back and it was hot out. In more sobriety time, I realized I didn't know how to be with my feelings. No idea. There was a school shooting. The day that it was happening, I was really distraught about this. It was the first time I have children in school. You know, it really kind of hit home for me. And this was the first time I was sober and I had intense feelings that I had to just feel. That was really, 
really hard. And I remember talking to people and, and thinking to myself, what the fuck? People do this? Like people just willingly go through your feelings. <laughs> and I remember talking and being like, no, I just need this to stop because I'm going to cry because I'm really upset about these kids. And somebody said to me, yeah, you just got to go through it. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I have planned my whole life on not feeling feelings. You see, I learned this lesson when I was seven. We don't have to feel our feelings. And I remember being like, oh my God, I am 43 years old and I don't know how to just be sad. And when I talk about fear, that's one of those fears. Like, I don't want to show people my emotion. I don't want to show people that I'm vulnerable. You, know, My first event that I have where I am even a little bit sad, I crumbled. Like, I didn't know how to function. I think a lot of people, especially stay-at-home moms, this is the normal. It really is. Like, every mom I know drinks every day, pretty much. It's just what they do. Like... The old cliche about, oh, the, you know, do you sit at home and eat bonbons? And now it's like, I think the stay-at-home mom is go, 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 especially before Corona. And then you go home and drink because you deserve it. And then Corona hit. And thank God I got sober before Corona hit because I'll tell you, I don't know what would have happened, especially because I already had health issues stemming from alcohol. And so had I not stopped... Mm. There would have been no reason for me to not drink all day. I can't tell you the amount of people that I know that went back out and started drinking when Corona hit. And it's terrifying. But I think a lot of stay-at-home moms for sure live the same kind of life that I was living. And it's only because it's an easy legal way to cope. I think that that's really important too. I think it had it not been legal and I by no means want alcohol to not be legal. Let's just put that out there. But had it not been legal, I think, I don't know if I would have gone down this road just because one of my biggest things was how could I be doing something so terrible for myself if it's legal? I think that's for a lot of people too. When I quit... Drinking, um, a big motivating factor was the fact that I had gained a lot of weight. I've always been super thin and I gained a lot of weight. That was kind of one of the things that like I just got so grossed out with myself for a multitude of reasons. But the weight gain was one thing that I could kind of really put a result on. Like, okay, if I can just get my drinking under control, then I will lose weight. Over the past, you know, 18 months, I lost like 40 pounds and I'm wow. still not as thin as I was before by any means. My small intestine is completely recovered. Your small intestine, your gut, your digestive system is like amazing because it's self-healing in the most amazing way. And it can really like revert damage as long as you haven't gotten like cirrhosis or something like that. I don't have those issues anymore, which is amazing to me that like your body can do that. You know, I sleep better. I don't look like a, you know, sweaty, nasty person who just came from the pool. You know, there's just like a myriad of things that I didn't even realize affected me. You know, like you swell. There's so much inflammation when you drink. So I was constantly swollen. Like I feel like my face, my hands were constantly bloated and swollen. 
my blood pressure was always high. I never had high blood pressure my whole life. And I had high blood pressure, got to the point where they put me on medicine for my high blood pressure. And it was because I drank. So I was drinking, causing high blood pressure. And so they put me on medicine to combat the effects of the alcohol. You know, like I just got to that point, I think, where I was just like sick of it. I got just get sick of it all. And I, when I stopped drinking, my intestines healed. My mental health started to be more clear. All kinds. My blood pressure now is back down to what it normally is. It's just amazing how much an excess of alcohol or anything, you know, really does to your body. And um, it was a hard, hard lesson to overcome. But here I am on the other side, and I can say that I'm so thankful for the people in my life who shared their stories um, so that I could see myself in them, even when they had the crazy stories that didn't line up to me, the motivations in their stories or the reactions that they had sometimes, like that's where you see yourself. I think for anybody who is questioning, um, you know, do they have a problem or is this an issue or do they know somebody who has a problem in their life? I think that to just for themselves, look, for the compare in is what they call it. Compare in. You know, if you talk to somebody or you hear somebody's story and you can find that link that's like, oh, whoa, I have, I felt like that before. Maybe take a journal or a log and think about the times that you are drinking. Why are you drinking? There's a thing called HALT, H-A-L-T, which hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Those four emotions can cause people to do some crazy shit, including drinking, but it can cause anger. It can cause sadness. It can cause all these things. And so it's like when you are presented with the situation where you're like, I really want to drink, stop and ask yourself, is it because you're hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Or are you tired? And if you can go through all those things and go, no, I'm hanging out with Jamie and we're just going to have a drink, then you're normal. Okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like (laughs) for the most part, but I think a lot of times for me, I drank every single time for one of those reasons. A lot of times because I was tired. It was five o'clock. I was exhausted and done with my day. He could have put any of those things in my basket and I could have grabbed onto them. I think this is going to resonate with a lot of people. I think that the stigma attached to what an alcoholic is, is different these days. I think there are more people who are stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, or, you know, whatever, and it's just really acceptable. Especially right now. Because I mean, yeah, a year ago, everybody was like, I have to fucking have my kids at home all day. Right. A lot of high functioning alcoholism was created in this pandemic, unfortunately. No, I mean, there's no doubt. And like I said, I really do fear. I'm so thankful that I got sober before this pandemic because I don't know that I would have been able to continue to function. I think I would have become a very toxic, consumed by alcoholic. It could have brought down my marriage and it could have ruined my family had I not stopped drinking and the pandemic hit because I really would have then really earned my drinks, right? Now I got to be home with you guys all freaking day (laughs) and teach you school. Hell no. There's, I have no doubt it would have been terrifying. And the amount of money that I would have spent 
would have been terrifying. I was already spending, let's see, I was spending $40 every two days. So every other day I was spending $40 on a handle just on alcohol. That's insane. It's insane. My power came from me being able to release this information and the control that I thought that I had over my life by using alcohol to control my feelings and my thoughts and all of that stuff. It helped me function to mask those feelings until I was clearly ready to like deal somehow with them. I actually gained my power when I finally, so I'd been sober for, for like nine months, eight, nine months. And I don't feel like I was really a hundred percent capable of staying sober. It doesn't matter. I mean, like I am the exact same person in this, in the sense recovery wise as I was back then. Like I haven't done anything different. The only difference that I, that happened was that I released this information that I literally hid within the deepest darkest depths of my soul. And it wasn't until I released that, that then I was able to really start to dive into actual feelings and then alcohol and why, what is going on with that? And what is the connection to that? And it's a much deeper, bigger story, but I think it is important to say that like I had my sobriety, but I wasn't dealing with some major, major issues and trauma in my life that had happened. And until I was ready to do that, it consumed me until I let it go. And I told people what had happened. I don't know that my sobriety would have stayed. I think that keeping secrets is so powerful and that people think And I thought that keeping a secret meant I had control over the secret, but I was wrong. (laughs) I needed to not hold the world and all of its responsibilities in myself. And that's what I did. And drinking helped me do that. And then when I didn't have drinking, I just kind of went through all the actions of not drinking, but still had all these emotions that I wasn't willing to deal with. Every time I tell my story, every time I say, when I was seven years old, I was molested. And I also then went on to become an alcoholic as a result of a lot of childhood and adult trauma. I think that that's my reason for it, but I don't think I would have stayed sober had I not really taken control by owning my trauma. I also hope to bring a little bit of kindness to the idea of alcoholism, because I think people really have this ugly thought about it. You're homeless, you're dirty, you're unmanageable, you're all those things. But there also is this other side of it that can be very high functioning and very productive. And I think a lot of people live in that world like I did. Erin, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story. And I'm just so thankful that you are in a happier and a healthier place. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to support Know What I Heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Five-star ratings and positive reviews are greatly appreciated. Um, Follow us on Instagram. Like us on Facebook at Know What I Heard Podcast. 
If you have any questions, show ideas, comments, anything at all, send an email to knowwhatiheard at gmail.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, keep it real, and until next time, hey, know what I heard?